This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Beth Bauer, who is the founder and CEO of Pauseroy, and prior to that was the US commercial data strategy leader of data strategy management, innovation, and enablement at Merck. So Beth, thank you very much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Kyle. No, it's all right. I'm just glad that I managed to get all of that out in one go without fumbling too much um that's the that, that's the hardest part of the podcast over so there you go um but look where we always start beth is by asking our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction into their background and journey to date and yours has been um very interesting so i'm looking forward to this uh, i am as well thank you so much uh to provide a, a little bit it helps that i have spent probably well my entire career working in the innovation space related to data. So it really helps, uh, as we were talking uh, offline, that I work for a company called IQVIA, which has uh, a large amount of data and has for 75 years. So before we had the term big data, I was working in big data and was one of the SMEs that helped to build the innovations that actually would change industries in how they work by utilizing data at scale. That means transforming along in the technology systems, including the people systems, because the one of the pickers in this space that I learned is in order to get people to take on innovations, you really have to transform a thought process in how people work. It's change management at scale. So I have been working in that space, either from a, a statistics uh, and identifying insights that actually would lead to changes in how people work at an industry level for 35 years. Uh, I ended up 
functioning both as the person who creates that information and the person who uses that information. And that's another very unique lens. So moving from a, a space where data literally was my product to being the one who used data as the product in uh, moving forward in another industry. What's super interesting there is how do you begin to take that culture of a data as a product into a space where data is not the product, but still leverage it in a way that you can get that same value out. And that provided a unique lens, which lent me to, I really need to get out, start talking more about how people can leverage data. And that transformed me from my corporate role at Merck MSD to uh, today as founder and CEO of Pauseroy. Nice. Thank you very much for that. My, my mind now is like a million miles an hour thinking, right, must remember to ask this, must remember to ask this. Um, so much to unpack here, Beth. Um, I mean, the, the innovation piece is fascinating to me. And, and obviously, I know we when we spoke offline and we've dialogued back and forth on LinkedIn for, for quite a while now, but the whole change management piece. Um, so keen really to get into that. And obviously, I think, as you said, the, the unique perspective that you have now of, you know, having being the person that created the data product and then the person who uses that product as as well because um that is unique in the sense of you're either one one or the other normally for a lot of people right, right. so uh, looking to looking forward to unpacking all of of that i guess before we do that just tell us a little bit more about Poseroy now in terms of you know why you started the business and um what your organization tries to do basically so I started this business because I realized um, there really needs to be more evangelists about what data really means. So I was trying to think about how to how to describe this best. And I thought about like a Michael Phelps or a Tiger Woods and breathing, right? Everyone knows how to breathe. Everyone knows they know how to breathe. What are you talking about? I know how to breathe. But if I want to be at the top of my game and I want to be like a Michael Phelps or a Tiger Woods, I probably have a breathing coach <laughs> because that person is going to tell me the things I don't know about breathing because there's a lot more to breathing than just in and out, right? And that's how I think about data. There is so much more to data that no one is thinking about. And I know you hear people say, I don't want to know how the sausage is made. But if somebody doesn't think about how you're going to utilize data like it's your breath in a way that actually takes you to the top of your game, you're never going to get there, right? We know that both a Michael Phelps and a Tiger Woods paused even when they were at the top of their game to relearn right? And to, to take their body and their functions and their the tools and mechanisms that they had and take it to the next level. Well, that's where we're at in data, right? So everybody knows that data and knowledge, because knowledge is data. And by the way, feedback is another huge part of that. Feedback loops to be able to have a, an, a culture, not only of data, but of continuous innovation. Really, you need those feedback loops. So data, Feedback loops, knowledge, they're all the same thing. It's a question of can you take it to the top of the game so that you can actually win every single time and understand those different parts of it. And if people begin to think about 
data that way and and take down the barriers, the defensiveness of I know data and 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 start to realize the possibilities of what could happen if they could take their data to the next level by just being open to hearing some of those possibilities and engaging with uh, various partners who have excellence in certain components and bringing those components of excellence together really they can get absolutely to the top of their game. So that's what we're here to do is to be that coach of data uh, to be able to share what is it that you could be doing better? What questions uh, could you be asking? How could you take it up a notch to elevate your game? Nice. Okay, perfect. So uh, keen to jump in um, and maybe try to address what some of the consequences and then challenges are of why organizations and data leaders um, are still kind of talking and debating about this notion of value right and this this has kind of raised its head again over the last uh, couple of months i've been tagged into multiple linkedin threads um, and i think the thing that fascinates me is that when we're talking about value everyone has a slightly different definition dependent upon where in the data analytics spectrum they sure. might might sit, right? So, uh, so some of my points have been, well, look, value evidently means different things to different people, but ultimately, how a, how a data leader helps an organisation to unlock value through the use of data analytics has, has obviously got to be subjective and contextual to what matters to the people that make the decisions in that in that business, right? So, uh, I guess as a starting point. Why, well, why do you think that happens, first of all? Why is it seemingly so difficult for organizations to actually realize value through the use of data analytics? Like, what's the what's the symptom? What's the consequence of when we know that they aren't realizing value, if that makes sense? So, <clears throat> probably it's because it depends on where you are. And that's why in this, this coaching space, I talk about meeting you where you are. Not only does it matter where you are on the continuum of data, but where you literally sit in an organization <laughs> um, and, and where you and um, across, across silos, you can work with others to work together to rise all boats in the tide. Really, there are four different aspects um, that, that I see, uh, and we'll talk about those in, in a little bit, but largely the, the common challenges have to do with Data touches everyone, literally everyone. So depending on where they are, value means something different. And depending on what first step they can take, how value can be calculated needs to be looked at from a, pot a potentially a different lens. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it all needs to land on some form of revenue, whether, whether that is revenue created or, or uh, cost savings, right? That, that needs to translate to money. But along the journey, particularly in some of the most complex digital innovations, there are some first steps that lead you to the decision-making of, do we keep heading down this pathway? And there is value associated there too, which is probably not tied to money yet. Right? It's how do, how do I build the strategy to get to the point that I will get to money? And there are decision points where people need to be pausing and saying, did we hit this value, not necessarily dollars, point that we needed to, to say, keep going. And so 
we need to recognize that there are these different value points and where we are in an organization, it's going to look different. One of the other challenges I think is related to when I talked about rising all of the boats in the tide, a lot of what is gathered and garnered through data is the ability to take in what's happening at a, at a systems level or an ecosystems level. And that means we have to have people working together. We hear all the time, well, data is a team sport. Well, what does that exactly mean? Right? It means that it's not just your data team. It means it's your company team. And the more that you can interconnect and show how data can be utilized, the same data can be utilized across different silos or how your inputs across these different silos actually affect your decision-making quality. The ability to open your the aperture of your lens will actually lend itself to creating more and more value. But that means that with, it's like the, the Spider-Man comment of with great power comes great responsibility, right? What happens here is it changes some of the power structures because what we find when we have the data culture that we want, this creates a lot of transparency into the decision processes. In some cases, there are situations where maybe there was not as great of a decision process as everyone thought there was, and this data will now highlight that. And that can create really struggles of power within an organization. And I think there's a lot of fear of, oh, I did poorly in the past and I have to hide that. But I think this new culture is saying, let's forget about the past. If you can come up with ways to do better in the future, that's what a, a data-informed or continuous innovation culture is interested in. How can we do it better? Yeah, 100% makes makes perfect sense. So obviously, um, to surmise there, you're saying value in some way, shape, or form, ultimately comes back to money, right? Dollars, pounds, euros, whatever currency we're we're talking about. But at various points on that journey, there will be points that of of value that you create that almost dictate that you're going in the right direction. Can you just give us an example of what that journey might look like? Just it can be hypothetical; doesn't matter. Just so we're, I guess we've got a bit of an understanding as to the layers of value, I guess, before you might get to the big ticket dollar sign? Sure. So um, <laughs> one of the things in the digital marketing space that that everyone's looking at, um, uh, particularly in the, the healthcare space where there's a lot of privacy and, and regulation, and there should be, is how can we actually have a better understanding of whether certain types of um, campaigns are actually um, effective? And are we getting people who we want attracted to our websites? So there needs to be layers of security, uh, privacy embedded that can allow us to say, have we hit our goal in being able to have people who we are looking for people who need us, people who want our product to be able to access our product. And it may be that the first step is, can you actually even get the privacy laws in place? Can you even make a connection in a, in a secure, uh, uh, privacy-compliant way that will allow you to be able to do this and feed it back in a way that makes sense and you would eventually be able to measure return on investment? And sometimes it's that first step 
right? Am I actually able to make this connection in a way that's reliable and stable and is going to provide me the information that I need? That first step is definitely not going to have any dollars associated with it because you're a long way from being able to leverage that. But if you can make that connection and do so in a, in a way that ensures all of the privacy, you're, you're golden for the, the next piece. One of the other pieces in here um, is highly related to, uh, and we'll talk more about some of the four dimensions, but some of the processes. Because as we're moving forward in what our capabilities are with data, that also means that that changes some of the other capabilities that are tangential within a company. For example, and again, in highly regulated industries, there's a whole regulatory arm and and a whole privacy arm. And they are involved in the process right now, perhaps at the end, bringing that to the front. I call that being compliant by design and putting the compliance components up front so that you can understand what what feasibly can I do in this area so that I'm not wasting my time or taking it all the way to the end point and then finding out, oh, I I, I shouldn't be doing this at the end, right? <laughs> you want to know that upfront. So what you're investing in will actually be able to come to fruition and, and lead you eventually to revenue. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes uh, that makes sense. So you touched on the, the four dimensions uh, a couple of times now. So just um, tell us a little bit more about that. What, what are they? And I guess, why are they important? Yes. So the four dimensions... Uh, essentially, and they, they're all connected at the hub, is an ability for a company to have business agility. This means to continually be looking at how they're working and can they be working better. So in the example that we just had related to compliance and regulatory, thinking about when you look to innovate, at what point in a process do you bring someone on from that organization and what are the decision criteria there? How could you be doing that better? How could you be putting that at the forefront? How could you move faster in your internal decision-making processes? How could you leverage data and more knowledge, collective institutional ecosystem knowledge to be able to move that faster and to change on a dime? The second piece is obviously customer, customer, customer. <laughs> you need to be able to understand your customer. And in the world of not only today, but tomorrow, as we have more transparency, we're going to really need to be finding the customers who really want our products. So in the past, you know, just splash wherever you can, hope you pick up some customers, But as people have more knowledge at their fingertips, they're going to have more insight into what is going to be the best product for them. So if you can find them faster or apply blue ocean methods, some people say, to be able to see how could you find customers who want you and have no competition today? They may not even know yet that they need you because they don't know your product exists. How can you leverage data and technology to get into those spaces where it's a win-win for everyone, right? Shared value. The other part to this is ecosystem insights. It amazes me that we are, in some cases, blissfully unaware (laughs) of how the world is changing around us. 
And that can be the technology is changing. That could be the competitive landscape is changing. That could be the policies that affect you and your business are changing. It could be how your customer views the world is changing. And it's the worldview on that, not the customer themselves. And that means that you need to understand what's happening in all these different spaces that put pressure or have influence on your customer and their ability to to want and or use your product. And so having uh, more of a lens on all of these ecosystems is really going to help facilitate finding those customers and changing your business to be able to uh, adopt it in those new spaces. And then that leads to the last piece, which is all of this leads to new methods and frameworks for opportunity and risk assessment. But we've got to be able to do that much faster than we have in the past. And we need to take into account many more points of light into that decision-making process. We also then need to ensure, you know, we don't want analysis paralysis either, where uh, it's not perfect, so I can't make a decision. No, we have to be able to accept what is imperfect, but acknowledge that it's imperfect. And, and then be willing to say, when I get this other information, I can then improve my decision-making process. But that means that we will actually begin to document better what our decision-making processes are. Hmm. Yeah. Slight tangent here, but you mentioned there about the uh, speed, I guess, is what you were referring to. Just give me your take on the importance of speed to decision making and the role that all you know these across these four dimensions the role that that plays so in every almost every instance of innovation uh it's uh, i see two things really uh define whether you are successful in your innovations um one of them is do you actually have an innovation and the the sales and marketing around that but the second is your speed. If you're third, fourth, fifth to be able to get there, you're just going to be picking up what's left on the floor. If you want to have that blue ocean at your fingertips, you're going to have to be first. And then you're going to have to be able to sell it. So I think about as well, um, it's, it's a long time ago, probably you don't even <laughs> remember this, but there was a time when we had uh, videotaping was was brand new. I was I was a kid and it amazed me. My, my brother was very into technology and we had the very, very first videotape recording system, which apparently has a, a better technology than what came out. It was called a beta tape. It ended up in second place was a VHS tape, uh, and no one's ever heard of a beta tape, even though it came out first, and and it supposedly was a better technology, but VHS did a better job in its marketing of of everything. So it's two things. It's got to be the uh, acceleration and speed. So first, in this case, they were first and second, but it also has to be with the marketing, your ability to sell the story of how this innovation is going to be used and not only how it creates value for you, but how it creates a shared value for your customers and your partners, quite frankly, because you can get more of your partners to work with you if every time you work together, you think about shared value, not sticking it to them. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Absolutely. If you can win together, it's much nicer than winning on top of, right? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I did say, Beth, um, before we started recording this podcast that we, we may be at risk of um, jumping down some rabbit holes and uh, I'm, I'm going to take us I'm going to take us down one here because I know we would not planned to go into this, this much depth around innovation but I'm just curious given your background in reality how many organizations do you see that are genuinely trying to innovate or do you feel it's more just they know that if they use data and analytics they can be better at what they already do versus the businesses out there that are actually trying to innovate by using data analytics to launch new products go enter different markets whatever the case may be um i think there are pockets of excellence and some of this a lot of this has to do with the the leadership on having uh a data-informed culture and a high-performing team culture. That, that's really what it comes down to. I have seen instances where, say, uh, teams who are, their goal is to have innovations roll out. And some of them are willing to lean in and have a high-performing team where no one is a shining star, everyone is a shining star. And I have seen them been, been able to move from uh, a situation where they were able to provide their customers with incredible business changing insights once every six months to leveraging data in its best democratized governed way to new business changing insights weekly. I mean, that's just insane. So in this in the same organization with the same potential, of structure, one team moves to weekly insights, another team can't get there because there's too much infighting on who gets the credit. And I think that that's a big part of being able to be successful in this data culture because, again, articulating the value, data doesn't make value. People have to action on the data for that data to make value. So you can unlock value with data, but then you got a whole group of people who need to buy in. They need to not only buy into what you're innovating, they need to believe in you because they are going to put their work and their potentially real numbers, their bonuses, their their um, uh, reputations on the line based off of what you're providing them as a as a, their data person. And if they don't believe in you, they're not going to do it. But they need to take the actions that actually lead to the value, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't give them credit for this, we can't just say this was the data people. It's all it's the the company it working as a well-oiled machine that is actually going to have that value come but that means you need to have leaders who are willing to stand up and and say things like that right that it is together that we work better it is in partnership that we work better it's not just the data team because you could have the best data in the world and not get there hmm yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I know we've spoke about this um, on LinkedIn before, but the whole, you know, the ability of the data leader and the data team to be able to um, sell 
and market and influence and persuade and build relationships and all of that type of stuff is so Create trust yeah 100 percent. so <laughs> imperative yeah so look um let's park that because i know we're going to jump into the whole high performing teams and what that means and the sales and marketing element to that um i know you've got a framework that you use when you work with organizations to help walk them through those four dimensions in terms of how you pull all of that together uh adept have i got that right Yes. Yeah. Yes. Talk, talk us you. through that. <clears throat> so adept, five letters in adept uh, and coming at it from two angles, people and data. So when I think about what needs to happen for innovations to really take hold, that means that we need to be thinking about the analytics and not only the analytics of today, but how could I change my analytics? How could I create a strategy around my analytics that is related to how I can improve my business, whether it's the business agility, the customer need, the ecosystem's insights? How could I begin to have a different view on my analytics that could give me a different lens that will evolve my thinking in this space? That leads to, so, and that's really a pure analytics component. But then that ties to, now what am I going to do with that? How, I, I need insights. The, it's not just analytics. The, in, the analytics have to lead to an insight and acuity is a, a word for insights. But that means that I need to bring more people in. I need to share what I learned in this analytics and then ask people like, hmm, now that I've shared this thing I saw in the data and the analytics, what does this mean to you? How does this change your view of the world? Does this have any uh, impact in what you're, you've been thinking? And that means that we need to get those analytics out and not in a way where we're just presenting and we're done. It's presenting and we start, mm -hmm. right? Because that's just, it's not here I've finished. It's here, here, I'm passing it over to you. How can you help me to fertilize this and make it grow? And that leads to uh, decisions, right? So in the, the D, decisions and data are the two parts there. What decisions do we actually need to make high level and all the way down at the lowest level? I think there's a lot of decisions throughout the entire data through to insight, through to action. There are a lot of decisions that people just assume are happening. And in some cases, and when we dig in and do things like have a peer review on the decision process, we realize, huh, I thought you were handling this this way, but it turns out you never even thought of that. You don't have a lens to that component. So it just didn't even occur to you to, to do that. Beginning to document what some of those decisions are and then building the data in that is fit for purpose to those decisions. And we hear a lot about fit for purpose today, but I'm not sure that people really know what that means. Uh, a big part of it is where did your data come from? What do you want to be able to do with that data? Does it support the decisions that you're looking for? And the quality aspects on this will change depending on what decisions that you're looking for. And so even when we're talking about buying large data assets, it may be you may buy one that is excellent to answer one set of questions and terrible to answer another set of questions, right? And so it can't be one size fits all. And we need to start to realize that and value our data purchases based on the number of use cases that we can come up with where that data is going to be set. And that leads into contracting of data as well to be able to think about 
how can I leverage as many use cases as possible? Or do I need to combine, I, I call that a data fabric, create a data fabric where we put different data together. That takes us into the E, engagement and enablement. If then this is the sales and marketing component of that, right? The engagement is if I'm going to really be changing anything about how my company functions, I need to get the people who would be affected by this engaged. We want them to want it. We want them to help us to actually sell this to the organization and to our customers. And the enablement in that is, how do I make this painless for them? Can I leverage technologies to, uh, to, to help do that? Do I need to actually have changes in person processes to be able to get there? Do I need to get that compliance team or regulatory team in upfront to enable this to go through? But we need to be thinking through that from the beginning. That leads us to people, process, and technology, which you know are the mainstay. They're still the mainstay, but people, process, and technology related to all of the other aspects of ADEPT, which are then anchored in trust. Because at the end of the day, if people trust you, they're going to open up their, their silos to you. I hear frequently, particularly in very large companies, we can't slow down our decision-making for that other part of the organization. But we forget that we're all connected. <laughs> Different parts in the same organization all at the end of the day have the same goal is for the company to be successful. So if there are components where you really should be working together, some of the foundational components, you need to create mechanisms and structures that leverage relationships, not just of people, but of parts of the organization who are going to work together so that the whole organization has trust. Hmm. Yeah. How, I mean, I've had many people come onto this podcast and same at the events that we host where, you know, they have a, a very, very simplistic view of, of the world and, you know, would argue that, look, if you can't get value out of the data analytics initiatives that you're running, it's because fundamentally people don't trust you. And they'll, you know, it's as, and I know it's probably not as, there's a lot of other facets to it, right? But I think fundamentally, uh, there's probably a lot of weight in that statement, right? That a lot of, a lot of the, especially the change components comes back to this person. If you think about how, how we do anything as human beings, like every decision we make is really based on trust, right? Based on, I don't know if you see a commercial on, the TV, like you'll trust that it's the thing that you want, right? Or you buy a new piece of technology from a vendor because you might trust that person over the other sales rep or whatever the case may be. How, how much does trust play an important role in bringing all of this together? Oh, it's everything. So I'll tell you what, what made me realize that that's really the anchor that we really all have to pay attention to. I, I ended up years ago seeing an article in Harvard Business Review um, where uh, the author had studied the what are the elements of what creates trust, actually. Um, and there were three came through as the primary drivers, and it was relationships, judgment, and consistency. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I've been so involved. I so believe in data. Data is everything to me. <laughs> everything leads everything to be better. And I realized judgment and consistency, well, that's data. 
right? That, that That's what that is. If you've done it right, right? It's that you create good judgment based off of the best information that you can have. And then you can replicate that. That's what consistency is. So to me, that was really data and relationships. But when they broke those three elements apart, you could see that and they didn't make the case this way, but when you analyze the data that they provided, it comes out. It ends up showing that if you have judgment and consistency together, let's call that data, that means that you are 45% of the way there on trust. But if you have a relationship, it's 55. Hmm. And I went, and this isn't a zero sum game. It was just, you know, how much do these things bring? And I went, oh my gosh. So no matter how good my data is, no matter what, I'm only 45% there. But if I set relationships in play, I'm already over 50%. Right. And when, when you bring all three, we, all three of these or the two of these together, you're at like 80, 90. Right. So if you can bring your data and your relationships, you're at 80, 90 on trust. But if you're going to pick something, you got to start with the relationships. And sometimes that's really hard for people. And particularly from having grown up in technology, I'm I'm going to call it like it is. Sometimes there's a lot of people who choose to go into technology because they don't want to talk to people. They want to play on computers. I mean, it's just the nature of the work. But now in this new world, We've come to a point where, again, to get to that higher end of the game, like the Tiger Woods and the Michael Phelps that we were talking about, you you need to be at a point where you are willing to listen and you have to hear what the rest of the organization has to say. There's a huge amount of trust in there because that means even being an expert, you have to pause and say, okay, what do I have to learn? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. I guess it's... um... As you very rightly said, it's it's often difficult, especially for data people, right? People that have come up through the route of, you know, they've analyzed data their whole life and they see they see the world through the lens of, well, look, I can show you this is this is true. Like it, you don't need you don't need to have a relationship with me, just judge for yourself, right? But um the trust part and the you know, the link between relationships and trust is is really insightful. Um conscious of time we this podcast could be at least three hours and quite easily um but talk me through i know that you talk a lot about high performance teams and why this is a a complete team game not just a data team game but a, a business team game just talk us through what is a high performance team to you and how do you effectively build one to get value from data yeah so um Thank you, because this is so important to all of it. A high-performing team is really one that realizes where they have strengths and where they're when where they have gaps. And they're willing to talk about those, and they don't talk about it in a way with fear. They welcome that they articulate what their gaps are and then look to fill those gaps. Those gaps could be in technology or in certain capabilities, Or it could be in knowledge of one of the four dimensions that we talked about, right? There could be risks associated with certain things that you were unaware of. There could be ecosystem influences that are causing what you're seeing that you didn't think about. There could be business process things that are keeping you from moving forward in in different areas. Or there may be customer needs that 
you just hadn't had insight into before. And you have to be willing to evolve your thinking as a team. You also need to be need to be willing to evolve your strategies and tactics. So one of the things that I hear frequently are, um, in order to get there, we need to be hyper-focused. And you do. But being hyper-focused doesn't mean blinded, right? It doesn't mean that you're the horse with the blinders on and you're, you don't look to the sides. You just go where I tell you. It, it means that you need to be aware of your surroundings. And when new information comes in, it, you have to determine, is this something that changes everything or a distraction? And you have to pause for one second and evaluate that. Because if it's something that changes everything, you need to actually consider changing the the direction that you're headed. Um, And that means that we need to create flexible master plans, if you will. And and I think in the innovation culture that we talked about before, when people think about data and analytics and leveraging at its best, I really see people focusing a lot on demand management of data. But there's another part of of handling the analytics questions and it's strategic management. And so demand management is, here's all these questions that everyone wants answers to. How are we gonna handle each of these questions? How will we take in new data to answer these? And then there's the, the bigger questions of those four dimensions. How can we think about how to get at our customer better from a strategic perspective that is not just strategy without data? I hear that as well. I'm a strategist. I don't use data. How could you be doing strategy without data? (laughs) But you can't be doing data without tying in the strategy either. These two need to go together. And we can accomplish so much more by applying more, I guess it's a scientific method, but I I don't mean for it to be quite that rigorous, but that it's methodical in what do we actually want to achieve? How do we begin to get there in our knowledge of our customer, of our business process, of our ecosystems, so that we can be more effective and efficient at understanding what's happening in one of those four dimensions? including our own risks versus rewards. How far do we want to go? That's a decision process too, right? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I think especially in smaller organizations, um, I think the the demand piece that you talked about there, it just overwhelms them so they never get to the strategic stuff. Yeah, you know, (laughs) they almost become like an IT service desk, right? That they are just releasing tickets, answer the next question, answer the next question, so they never get to... They never the get to question. yeah. They never get to real value because they're not ans- they're not asking or answering the the big value questions, right? Which is uh yeah a, a shame. Um, right. Last thing you know, before we wrap up here, Beth. Um, I know obviously you talk about you know uh, having a, a data informed culture, and I know everything we've discussed today ties into that. I'm keen to just try and get a little bit of insight from you in regards to the kind of the sales and marketing capability around your e in your framework um in relation to how in your opinion what's the best way for for data leaders to go about getting that type of um skill resource whatever how how do you set it up so that you can that you can go out and you know get the sales and marketing piece of data analytics right within an organization so there's two parts 
obviously there are training courses that people can take where you learn how to be more consultative or provide that sales and marketing. But the second piece is really having that concept of high-performing teams and a culture that is willing to adopt change quickly is a mechanism through which you can reduce the um, need for a true sales and marketing component, right? That if sales and marketing of ideas becomes a part of your culture and a part of your structure, and you have the structural mechanisms in place for people to say, hey, I have this idea, how you, my end user, how can I make you feel comfortable? How can I show you this value? And begin to keep those structures in place so that the whole organization wants to move forward in innovation because they see what's in it for them. So one of the keys in a, in a sales and marketing is understanding your customer's needs, right? And then being able to hit the value propositions. From the data side, if we can think about our internal customer and maybe our customer's customer, that's another component that's thought about in sales and marketing, of how there's win, win, win for each of those. And if we're using partner vendors, what's in it for them too, we can actually accelerate the process and have the totality of the organization want to see this innovation succeed rather than putting up barriers. Because that's one of the, it, it's fascinating when you provide innovations, a truly innovative idea to a group even if they are considered experts in those areas, the first thing they do is say no or put up barriers or I don't need that, right? And so you need to be able to, how are you going to challenge that to show not only, I don't want to push it on you, I want you to want, how can I show you that value so that you come back to me and we create a partnership to make this happen together? Yeah. In your opinion then, do you, is it, kind of imperative that you build a high performing team from a data analytics standpoint um that that does that sales and the sales and marketing almost takes care of itself by delivering value constantly versus what we are starting to see actually in the industry is organizations leveraging transformation teams as an example or they might be hiring in someone who sole job is to go and do the whole engagement and enablement piece have you got uh, any thoughts on that so there's two parts one is a jump start because i think you potentially do need some external to create a, a and i don't mean external to the to the company i mean an, a group whose goal is to make that happen but their goal shouldn't be that they are the ones it should be that they transform the team to be able to work like this. And to a degree, this gets us into some of the conversations on um, data literacy and fluency. One of the best ways, there was a a slogan that uh, was for a, a, a software company in the past, experience is the best teacher. And man, that is so true. So you can teach people and wah, wah, wah at them 
and if it's if they're in marketing, for example, and we're trying to teach them the detailed statistics of data quality, that's all they hear. But if you can actually have them work on a project, right? This is why in universities they're doing capstone projects. If you can work on projects where you see that in play, man, you're going to learn and it's going to stick because you're going to have the emotional engagement in that, that that transforms how you think. So you will never get there as a culture if you don't expect to have all of this pushed out into how you all work, that everyone is a high-performing team, not just the transformation group, right? So their job needs to be, let me show you the way and let me teach you how to fish together. Yeah, perfect. Well, Beth, look, um, conscious of time, uh, an absolutely delightful conversation uh, as to be expected. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show and um, looking forward to seeing more of your great work and commentary on LinkedIn. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Kyle. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.